Looks like some kind of insect. A bee. Bees, Scotty. Killer bees. Are you endowing these bees with human motives? Do you have any idea what those bees can do? The honeybee is vital to the environment. Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Welcome to Killer Bees. Uh, this is not a Wu-Tang podcast. No, this is a podcast where we profile B-movie and genre film icons. My name is Garrett Smith. And my name is Tori Potenza. We can be found everywhere on the internet at Killer Bees Podcast. That's Killer BS Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and at gmail.com. We're a part of the Movie John Podcast Network on moviejohn.com. That's the Philadelphia John J.W.N. Our artwork is by Alex Schneider. Our music is by Christine Rayburn and her partner, Pat. And today is the season two finale. Season two finale. Of Killer Bees. Yep. So we decided on one of the greatest bees of all. Yep. Yafet Koto. Yafet Koto, who uh, I know we posted about, but maybe even talked about when we when he first passed last year because we were just getting the podcast it was right going. At the, yeah. Uh, uh, right as we were beginning this show, Yafet yep. was passing away. and Yep. And I remember being like, oh, yes, like he is a person we obviously need to honor and talk about. Um, And as of recording right now and release, I guess it is also Black History Month. So it felt like a good opportunity to highlight a a black genre icon that we really appreciate and love um, and learn a little bit more about his life, uh, which felt cool. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, a a man that definitely, uh, you know, to his own word, um, changed the landscape of Hollywood movies for black actors. Yeah, for sure. Um, So definitely feels like an important person that we could be talking about this month. Yes. Um, Yeah. And, you know, we uh, we need both a break to catch up on uh, more bees that we will cover, but also just a general break, I think, too, because this is why we do them as seasons, because it takes a lot of work to do this show. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we need now we need some time to bank a few more bees. Yep. And uh, then we'll be back bank with another. Yeah, we got to bank some bees, and then we'll be back with another full season of bees. Yeah. Try and do like twenty episodes every season is basically yeah. what we've decided on. Yeah. So more than likely, we will be back uh, in the spring at some point. Yeah. I would say is is a fair mm-hmm. estimate. But yeah. uh, but yeah. So uh, what are some films we would like to talk oh, yeah, about right. before we jump into Yafet? We got to catch up. Um. um well. I'm- Oh, yeah. You can go ahead. Well, I was going to say we just watched Cherry Falls the other night, which I know you're excited to show me. Oh, God. Yeah. Because when I I watched that and a couple other movies, like um, I think I watched that along with uh, Lair of the White Worm and A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, like all during this weekend where you were gone. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, I'm like glad I watched all these movies. They were really fun. But also like I can't believe Garrett hasn't watched any of these movies because we just oh Blood Diner was another one too that I still oh, need to show still you need to see that. Blood Diner's fucking wild uh-huh. uh, so yeah it was uh, I needed to show you Cherry Falls because it's a wild movie and it, it is now available on Shutter. yes and it is fucking wild and people should definitely watch it it is to me the funniest thing about the movie is like I think it would be so funny to show someone that movie and not actually tell them anything about it yep. other than just like, oh, it's like a it's like a slasher movie that nobody remembers. Mm-hmm. Because the actual premise of the movie is so insane that I think it would like blow their doors off if they like 
Well, know. and I think I knew the general premise, and if you just like look it up on Letterboxd, you can read it. Yeah. But like, I didn't necessarily know like the implications of that yes. and what it would escalate to, yeah. and that is what really is like, holy shit! Like this you is didn't a know wild teenagers movie. would be talking about hymen holocausts. No, <laughs> but I'm glad they did. Yeah, that's that's it my, needed to happen. That's my own little tease for the audience if they feel like they <laughs> want to see that movie. Uh, yeah, we we've been catching up on a lot of 2000s like horror recently and it's been a lot of fun like it's not all good but it's all entertaining it's just such a weird time for horror and I think we typically think of those times as like kind of like a dead zone for horror yeah. but like there is some interesting stuff that was being made that is like pretty wild and enjoyable and just yeah like we watched that movie Valentine like these movies end up being interesting time capsules mm-hmm. as well um, so yeah they're, they're kind of fun uh, yeah what did we watch uh what Lies Beneath, I guess, technically also falls in this category. It's not the same kind of movie, but uh, it's right. We watched Cursed. We watched yeah, yeah, right. the American remake of The Grudge yes, right. uh, from the same director. Uh, we watched Valentine, uh, which is also available on Shutter. Yeah. Uh, I actually just, the director just posted like, oh, I'm glad I've been hearing such nice things about this movie because people hated it when it first <laughs> yeah. came out. So I'm like glad people are rewatching it and enjoying it, which is funny. Yeah, that's good. Uh, but yeah. Oh, uh, what was the other one? Uh, Joyride. Oh, yeah. Joyride. I liked Joyride. Actually. Joyride was fun. <laughs> Joyride was really yep. fun. A lot of weird shit. Uh, so it's been it's been pretty entertaining. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, my, did we talk about Ricochet last time? Or I know you didn't watch that with me, but I, I watched it and just want to give my highest recommendation to the movie Ricochet. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Starring uh, John Lithgow and uh, Denzel Washington. I don't oh, think I, saw the, I saw the I saw the end of that movie. Yeah. Truly insane movie, like yeah. unbelievably crazy movie that is on HBO Max and people should watch. I love when lately, because you've been watching a lot of movies on your own, and then suddenly like a week later an Amazon box yep. comes that's full of those movies. And I'm like, ah, so these are the movies that Garrett liked that like I did not watch with him yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah is the ones that funny. I like a lot, I usually end up buying. Yeah. yeah. Um, I bought Ricochet on DVD for $6 because Ricochet has not been released since its DVD release. Insane. Yeah. Um, I have been watching a lot of shorts mainly because I just finished covering the Berlin uh, Final Girls Festival, which I really enjoyed a lot. Um, features I really liked are You Are Not My Mother and Hellbender, which should be released on Shutter soon, I believe. Um but there were a ton of great shorts out of that festival in particular, including Girls' Night In, which uh, my friend Amber uh, Horn Bloodfire podcast uh, was like, hey, th- you should watch this short uh, from the festival because it very much reminds me of like one of your sister's sketches. Uh, uh-huh. And it, it does remind me of a Stanzi sketch for sure. Um there was another one called Hanya that I really liked a lot too. And then there was a queer horror block I watched that had Gay Teen Werewolf and Monster Dyke, which were both excellent. Good titles. Good titles. Um, and then another short we watched that I love and like still just keep thinking about uh, is The Runner, which is also available on Shutter. Yeah. Uh, and it is essentially like an elongated music video from uh, the band Boy. Uh, what are they called? Crap. You're the one that's been listening to them all I week. I have been listening to them all week. Oh my God, I'm terrible. I like keep thinking it's another word, uh, which I think is why I keep messing up their name. They are Boy Harsher, 
I was going to say Hauser. That's what I keep doing. I keep like thinking a different word. I gotcha. Boy Harsher. Uh, they're excellent. Like Very good band. Highly recommend looking up their music. Like dark wave kind of music. Yeah. Um, I really liked The Runner. I thought it was just like a very, very cool short. Um, had some like amazing imagery and has like a really awesome, like uh, monstrous feminine character at the center. So uh, yes, I have not been able to shake it. Yeah, it's like 40 minutes long. Um, I thought the music videos were cool. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Um, any Anything else we watched? The only one I about? wanted to talk about was The Keep. Uh, Michael Mann's oh, yeah. The Keep. Uh, because I thought this movie was fucking great. It's got a really weird, kind of bad reputation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't really understand why. I thought it was really interesting and really great. It's kind of a contemplation of like... <laughs> What do you do when you discover that you could take nuclear energy and put it into a bomb and it could end these horrible things that are happening around you, but in and of itself be its own horrible thing? Mm. Um, and uh, I, but it does that through like a really crazy genre movie that is very vibey in the way that Michael Mann movies are vibey. Great uh, Tangerine Dream score. Yep. Yep. Um, just really inventive, interesting, weird movie that what well, it's like on. Two, no, it's on Pluto TV right now. And yes. this movie, the other reason I'm recommending this is this movie is actually hard to find and see. Um, there are not a lot of even good looking copies of it floating around. And for some reason, Pluto TV has a nice looking copy of it right now. So um, I think people should definitely seek it out and check it out. I was also just on Diabolique's site and they had like a wait list for a release of this. So yes. I think maybe it's getting a physical release which would be soon, awesome. which is wild. Because it has been unavailable for a very long time. Because I believe Michael Mann himself does not like yes. the version of it you can watch supposedly yes. there's like a three and a half hour i assume that's like a work print but like a three and a half hour cut of this movie out there somewhere and what you watch is a 90 minute movie that genuinely does kind is a little difficult to watch because you can tell it's like missing significant portions of and it. it's like based on a book so yeah. i think that you can like kind of feel that it's like that that book adaptation thing that happens when you're just like oh i kind of understand what's happening but i also feel like there's aspect of this that the book probably goes into like yeah. really like deep detail about yeah. uh so anyway michael mann does not like the version you can watch and it is the only version you can watch he claims that there are no materials left from mm-hmm. the version that would be in his opinion better and more watchable but I guess maybe somebody's finally releasing it, which would be awesome. Yeah. Because um, I, I really, really enjoyed this. I think it is like really worth watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. I think that that covers our uh, cool. recommendations. So let's talk about Yafet Koto. Yes, please. Uh, who has 95 acting credits, uh, two writing credits, and one director's credit. Cool. I'm also just going to quickly look him up because I forgot to look up his writing credits. I know which one he directed, but I want to make sure. Got them right here for you. Oh, perfect. Uh, Oh, he actually wrote some episodes of Homicide Life on the Street. That's um, it. Which he was also one of the stars of, I believe. Um, And he wrote the story for something called The Limit. Yes, which we will talk about, actually. Oh, that's his directing credit. Okay, cool. Yep. So I have... Two quotes that I thought were interesting uh, from him. One was, I do have a favorite kind of director, which is the kind who allows me to create. Some haven't allowed me to create. And I think by doing that, they don't need an actor. They need a puppet. Okay. Yeah. This is a sentiment I've definitely heard from other actors before. 
Yes, and kind of makes sense, I think, Uh as we've seen a wide variety of his roles, some of which we felt like he was not utilized to the full extent he could have been. Yes. Um, And then the other was uh, him kind of in the middle of an interview talking about um, acting and, like, what he has done as, like, a black actor to, like, advance, like, his career as well as, like, the careers of other folks. So he says, that was my plan, to play parts that would open the doors for others, and it worked. Uh, One of these movies was The Liberation of L.B. Jones. Um, No one had seen a black man kill a white man on screen prior to that. That movie created what would later be known as black exploitation cinema. Um, After that, they started putting black guys as cops, black guys as killers. Then Live and Let Die was the first time you saw a black guy out to do James Bonds. We've never seen a black man chase a white man across the screen. He was a hero. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, So I think those are some interesting sentiments, uh, which we'll probably kind of delve more into as we talk about specific roles. Yeah. Um, So Yafet Koto was born November 15th, 1939 in New York City. Um, His father was a Cameroonian immigrant of royal ancestry. Uh, His great grandfather had been king in pre-colonial days holy shit i know and his mother's family was from um antigua and panama okay um so he's got kind of an interesting background um yafet whose name also means beautiful in hebrew was raised in the jewish faith okay uh, which i thought was interesting too um he then talks about kind of his like act what got him into acting um and he talks about this story um about like walking around New York City and going to a movie, but he also in an interview I just was listening to says like he also bumped into like Sidney Poitier, uh, which like you know like very prominent black actor at the time, and I'm sure it was like very influential for him to like just bump into this guy and be like, oh my god, like. Yeah. Uh, but he he says uh, I was roaming around Manhattan looking for work. In fact, I had just come from an employment center in New York called Warren Street, where you can buy a part time job for about ten bucks. What? Which is wild. You have to buy a job. Yeah. Um, on this particular day, I didn't feel like delivering lunches or pushing a trolley c- truck through lower Manhattan. So I went up to 42nd Street around Times Square, which at the time looked like a circus. Porn theaters on one side of the street and B-movies on the other. Uh, I stopped before one particular theater and there were gangster photos all over the marquee. Uh, the movie have... Uh, the movie must have cost about 75 cents. So I went in and sat down and saw On the Waterfront. I was so blown away after that day. It was Brando's performance that made me leave the streets to become an actor. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, and then he began acting on stage in 1958. Um, he had a little like, theatrical experience um, and made his debut in the title role of Othello, uh, a role he eventually reprised on screen right. in 1980. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Othello is one of the great like roles for a black actor. Yeah, I, uh, in Boston, they used to do Shakespeare in the Park, mm-hmm. um, and they would play, like, sh- like, do different performances that I think were put on by... Um, uh, Suffolk University, uh, okay. like one of the acting schools there. Um, and I saw like, you know, a really great like black actor playing Othello and it was just like such a great performance, like sitting there in the park with all these people, with my family and just like enjoying this performance. So Othello is like also one of just those Shakespearean characters that like very much like lives in my brain. And sure. I love the idea of him playing that role. Yeah, I can, I can very much see him in that role. Yeah. Um. 
He also appeared on Broadway as an understudy to James Earl Jones in The Great White Hope. Um, After joining the actor's studio, um, Koto commenced his screen career and soon gathered critical recognition for several edgy performances across different genres. Um, He has this quote, If you're a black actor, you really don't have too many choices. If you keep turning things down, you might as well hit the unemployment office. If I didn't sometimes take small parts in small films, I wouldn't get to play anything, and I do have to eat. That's interesting, and, you know, maybe kind of explains a thing like, you know, his role in Midnight Run or something. Not that Midnight Run's like a small movie, but where it's like just kind of a smaller role and not a ton to do it's really just capitalizing on you know his face and charisma and stuff and but it's it's so interesting too like for specifically like women I guess have to deal with this too but just in general like BIPOC actors that like they have to like think about this extra level of like well I want to act and I want to get paid to like make movies but I also like need to think about like what my movies like mean and what my roles mean and are they delving into stereotypes do Mm -hmm. I just like take those roles because I want to make money mm-hmm. and be on screen or mm-hmm. do I like need to turn down things because of it? It's mm-hmm. like, must be so complicated to be in that position. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely something like he speaks to a lot, which I think yeah, is interesting. Yeah. Um, so his on-screen career begins in the sixties. Uh, he did TV like, uh, NBC's experiments in TV, which we keep <laughs> we talking about. about. We need to find that. Um, he was on the TV show Tarzan Bonanza in Hawaii five Oh. Okay. And then in 1968, uh, he was in the Thomas Crown Affair, starring Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway. This is one I I think is available, and I I would like to see. This was like remade with Pierce Bronson or somebody. uh, Yeah, because it's a name I definitely know. In like the 90s or 2000s. Yeah. Um, And then he was in The Five Card Stud, starring Dean Martin and Robert Mitchum. Hell yeah. Uh, And then we get to his roles in the 70s. So for TV, he was in things like Night Gallery and a show called Doctor's Hospital. (laughs) Doctor's Hospital. Which is the name of the hospital in Savage Streets. Oh, is it? Because it makes me laugh every time I watch Savage Streets. Like, like, oh, we're at Doctor's Hospital. As opposed to Pirate's (laughs) Hospital or... And it's like, is that a hospital specifically just for doctors? Like, that's where doctors go when doctors get injured. They have a special hospital. Yeah, you're like, oh, I'm to. bleeding. Can you take care of me? Yeah. And like, are you a doctor? No. Like, yeah. nope, sorry. You got to go to the one go to downtown. doctor's <laughs> hospital where they have super doctors to take care of the regular doctors. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, in 1970, he was in the movie The Liberation of L.B. Jones, which he had mentioned in one of his mm-hmm. quotes. Um, a successful African-American businessman has a quarrel with a white policeman, suspecting that he is having an affair with his wife. The policeman's colleagues are seeking to avoid publicity. Very interesting. Yes. Um, he's then in a movie called Night Chase, uh, which is <laughs> Great title. Uh, a TV movie. And this was his first starring role. Uh, a taxi driver hired to drive a fugitive criminal to the Mexican border forms an unlikely friendship with his passenger. That sounds good. Yes. I would watch that. Uh, and then in 1972, he was in the movie Bone. Hell yeah. Uh, which was directed by Roger Corman. No, right? uh, Larry Cohen. Larry Cohen. That's it. Larry, Larry Cohen. Cohen. I believe it's Larry Cohen's first directing credit. That's it. I, I think... get those two confused because they have very similar. And uh, they are both kind of like white low guy budget. Names. <laughs> yeah, well, and also like low budget kingpins of like B yes, movie cinema. That's it. You know? Uh, and. Yeah, we watched this movie and really liked it. It was 
weird. This movie is fucking great, and yes, fucking weird. So weird. Yeah. It's yeah, Yafet Koto just plays a guy that just stumbles into the household of these two white people and is like trying to get money from them. But it just it's very complicated. And as soon as he like comes to this house, it's clear that they don't really have that much money, and he has to figure out like how to like milk whatever they have out of them. And there's like a bit of magical realism to this movie Mm -hmm. and I was thinking I was reading a little bit about this movie afterwards and I forgot that there's this trope of like the magical negro in things oh yes and he does literally like apparate in their backyard yep like he's just suddenly there yeah uh, and it's as they are having a problem where they think their pool is clogged by a rat Mm -hmm. Uh, and and basically upon seeing this black man in their backyard they just immediately try to hire him and get him to be like the hired help and like do things for them. And he sort of takes to that, but only because that then gets him into the house. And once he's into the house, he can start asking questions about the money. And once he's into the money, you know, it's like, it's this really interesting thing where he is like preying on their Mm. prejudice throughout the movie. Um, but it is in this kind of almost magical w- way. Like, he's this character that almost, like, I don't know, tears their world apart. Like, shows the cracks and seams in their world to them. Because ultimately, I think it is these two white characters that tear the world apart on yeah. their own. Yeah. And then do all of the crazy things yes. that happen. Yes. Uh, and he's kind of just there as this, like, uh, this instigator. Yes, yeah. Um, is it a, a trickster? Is that like a word? Yeah, and which it? I think is a good word just because I think that's also kind of the energy he's bringing to yeah. the role. He does have this, like, kind of cheeky, goofy, like... Romantic energy. Yeah, even though he is kind of this, like, scary figure at times. Sure. And he does, like threaten to rape the wife and kill her several times and you're like oh god what's happening but ultimately it's like you know he's just kind of there and like says these things and that pushes these two white people to be racist and be crazy and just do terrible shit to each other and other other people yeah yeah and it's interesting too because this movie really brought to light for me like one of the things that i think in his best roles he's Mm -hmm. getting to do which is he's got this very jovial presence, mm-hmm. this kind of smiling, laughing, having a good time character mm-hmm. that almost always is hiding like a very smart, cunning person underneath. Yeah. That there's like a very intelligent, cunning person underneath this kind of like almost simple, fun, loving person at the surface yes. you know yeah uh and and he is so fucking good at that in a way that i i don't know it feels very unique to yeah him. yeah this was such a great role to watch him in specifically and it is so interesting too because like it definitely delves into this like re- weird realm of like specific types of poverty yeah and it's like this white like affluent poverty where it's like these people have a big house they have all these beautiful nice things the husband himself has like made a name and is kind of this like local celebrity and even though they're in tons of debt and don't really have any money they still hold this like status they symbol. have status even though they actually do yeah. not have money they are just yeah. living off debt and, and they're hiding all of these like seedy things yeah. and have like lied about a lot of aspects of their life and kind of get away with it just because of this affluence they hold yeah. and it's it's just such an interesting specific uh 
subsect of humans to delve into. Yes. Uh, and I, I really like it. And it's kind of wild that this movie is like from 1972. Yeah. I, I really liked this movie. And I actually thought about this movie like a lot after we yeah, watched it. I agree. And you and I have really become like Larry Cohen fans kind of specifically because this, he makes these like low budget genre movies, but yeah. they always have this like social consciousness to them. That is like pretty interesting. Like yes. even that fucking uncle Sam slasher we watched of his was, it has like a little bit oh, on its yeah. mind beyond just like the brainless kind of low budget thrills, you know? For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then after that, he does The Limit, which is his one directorial uh, credit. And he also wrote this. I-, I did not realize he wrote and directed that. Otherwise, I-, I would have like gone out of my way to see this one. Yeah. And he's the star in this, too. Um, in L.A., black motorcycle police officer Mark Johnson patrols gang infested neighborhoods with his white partner and best friend Jeff. Um, one afternoon Mark has a run in with a gang known as the Virgins whose leader Big Donnie is taken aback by the police's, by the policeman's understanding dignified demeanor despite the gang's constant derision hmm. which is like just interesting it yeah. sounds like that also has like a lot of interesting uh, dynamics going on in it. I would like to see that um, and then he's in Across uh, 110th Street, which a lot of folks also talk about as like one of his big roles. Uh, two, New York, two New York City cops go after amateur crooks who are trying to rip off the mafia and start a gang war. Yeah, and I, I think he gets like a nomination for this movie or something, if I'm, I'm not mistaken. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, this is like a pretty well-regarded uh, movie of, of his career. And I've heard nothing but great things about this movie. Yeah. And then in 1973, he is in Live and Let Die. He is a Bond villain. Mr. Big. Uh, And the first, they said, the first, like, black uh, Bond villain. Yeah. uh, Which is also pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, um, And this movie is fucking weird. Um, I am not familiar with Bond prior to Pierce Bronson. Like, I have only seen the ones that I grew up with. So, like, I've only, I've only seen, seen Pierce Bronson. And I've seen one Daniel Craig movie, and that's yeah. it. I'm, like, not really a Bond guy. So this was my first time going back into the Bond catalog. Uh, and this is a Roger Moore. I think this is actually Roger Moore's first Bond, mm. I think, I read. Um, and it's weird. It's a really strange movie. It's really strange. I... I had a lot of problems with this, yeah. just like uh, from like a political and social sure. uh, perspective. I think it has a lot of issues. Um, well, it's fucking weird to like. On one hand, it's like kind of a black exploitation movie, mm-hmm. and then they drop James Bond, this like classic white colonialist character, yes, into the middle of a black exploitation. It's really yeah. fucking strange. Yeah, that's like I thought a lot about this, just like because also too, like you know, we we live in a world now that like Craig is done with Bond and yeah. things like where there have been all these conversations about like who the next bond should be. Yeah. And a lot of people saying like, well, there should be like a black bond or a female bond yeah. or something. And he actually comments on this too, which I think is kind of interesting. But like, we talked a lot about this because there are also folks that are like, well, no, like James Bond shouldn't be black because James Bond is a character that is like steeped in like imperialist Britain, British like ideals. Yeah. And like, that's not what like the black community needs. Right, uh, right. I mean, like who, who am I to say or no, really? Sure. As, like, yeah. A but white that, person. that is an like, interesting commentary on yeah. it. Yeah. If Idris Elba was cast as Bond right now, I'd be like, fuck yeah. Like, yeah. I want to watch that. I love Idris Elba. But like, I, you know. There's so much like depth 
to this. The uh, idea of representation can be much more complicated yeah. than just like we should put you know a person of color in this role, and so that is an interesting perspective. Yes, and like his his character, he's really good in this role. Mm-hmm. Um, at first, I was like, oh, I feel like they're not utilizing him to the best of their abilities, but I think also too he was playing a tightrope with this character. Yeah. Um, he said, I had to dig deep in my soul and brain to come up with a level of reality that would offset the sea of stereotype crap that Tom um, Mankiewicz, I believe, uh, wrote and had uh, nothing to do with the black experience or culture. Right. Uh, the way Kananga dies was a joke. As, and well, the entire experience it was not very rewarding as I wanted it to be. Uh, yeah. There were also a lot of pitfalls that I had to avoid and did. Um, yeah, because even the writing for his character could be very like stereotypy and stuff. You know? Yeah, and he's definitely surrounded by stereotypes yes. yeah. um, that we see. But he, you can actually tell, I think, in his performance that he's working very hard to try and defeat a lot of those yes. stereotypes that are like written into it. Yeah. And and give you a, a sort of like nuanced, smart, capable mm-hmm. black man in a villain role. Yes. You know? And then yeah, because like another part is that a lot of this takes place in New Orleans. Yes. And then so then there's all of this weird like voodoo aspect yep. to the film too. That's like, you know, it's this British actor in America trying to talk about like, you know, the black experience. All in of New it is Orleans. fucking weird. I don't know it's who's really idea weird. it was to put James Bond in a black exploitation movie, but it is fucking bizarre. And then, like, you know, he, I think Roger Moore was someone who said that, like, James Bond shouldn't be black. And so a lot of people were, like, pissed about it. But then Kodo kind of agrees and says, I don't think it's right for black actors or writers to do roles that whites have made historically white heroic roles. Those roles are not written for black men. Black men should stop trying to play white heroes. We have pens. Put a black man in a role that no one else has established. Mm-hmm. Um, which an interesting and is an interesting, yeah. Yeah, a very interesting perspective, and I definitely like see the validity in yeah. those opinions too. Um, but it is so such a complicated thing to talk about in film. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. well, and especially as like we're just two white, you know, idiots trying mm-hmm. to talk about this stuff. So like, I, you know, it's like I never feel like I have a great perspective on this stuff. But yeah. I, I, I think it's always interesting to try and contemplate and unpack. The other thing that I think is interesting is like. Uh, so I had never seen Roger Moore as Bond or really in anything before. Mm-hmm. And I actually liked him in this movie. I thought he was really good in this movie, partly because his Bond is really, like, foolish. His mm. Bond, like, keeps fucking, like, tripping over stuff and falling over. And, like, he's like a fool. He's like a, uh, I don't know, he's like a blowhard, kind of. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of a funny read on James Bond. Yeah. Kind of, especially in the context of him being in him being a fish out of water mm. in this movie, you know what I mean? Yeah. And being around all of these people that he does not belong around. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of like. I thought that was funny. Um, yeah, and it's interesting too watching it because I'm I'm really only familiar with the Craig yeah. Bonds, uh, and I think the women in that, while like they do kind of still like tiptoe into that like pitfall of being like the stereotypical like Bond girls, yeah. I think have more agency in those movies. Um, I I would say comparatively to the rest of James Bond for sure, and are very like interesting. Like this one, like the whole thing is that she is like a virgin, and if she has sex with <laughs> Bond, she that. loses her powers. I, forgot about I was that. like, what the fuck is this? This is fucking ridiculous. Um, so I was just like kind of like ugh, the whole time like with some of that stuff too so it was not my favorite uh experience no. and who knows me there are other bonds that i would like better but uh yeah 
but it was also it was a good um Yafet movie. Like it was an mm-hmm. interesting movie to watch um for for him and what he was trying Absolutely. what he was having to do within the confines of that, you know. Yeah, I very much wanted to see like what he would do as a Bond villain and I thought he he did a good job even though I assume it was a very hard experience for right. him. Um, in 1974, he was in a movie called Truck Turner, starring Isaac Hayes. I wanted to watch this. This yeah. looks like some pretty fun black exploitation. Yeah, it's a black exploitation about a former professional football player who becomes a bounty hunter in L.A. Hell yeah. Um, in 1975, he was in a movie called Report to the Commissioner. And what a then, title. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, and then a movie called Shark's <laughs> Treasure. Oh, Shark Treasure is a good title, too. An aging fisherman finds a sunken treasure in shark-infested waters and is attacked by five escaping convicts. Oh. Hey, can I tell you what his character's name is in Report to the Commissioner? What? It's Richard, quotes, Crunch Blackstone. (laughs) Oh, God. Um... And then he's in the movie Friday Foster, which we watched because Hell it is yeah. a Pam Greer movie. Yes, everyone and, knows that Pam uh, is our queen here. Uh, yeah. Queen, queen B. Queen and we watched bees. her uh, and Austin Stoker do a movie together. Yes. And they were so fucking good and had so much good chemistry. And then we watched this. And of course, she and Yafet Koto have like also fucking incredible. have incredible chemistry. And like he is like from the moment he is on screen, he's like impeccably dressed. Yep. He's like really suave. Yep. And like they let him be this kind of like sexy character in a way. Yep. I feel like I haven't seen him in other roles. And yeah, he and Pam just fucking pop off the screen together. Once again, you can tell these two actors are probably very genuinely trying to flirt with each other. Mm-hmm. They seem attracted to each other. They seem like they're, you know, it's like, and it's fun to watch that yeah. chemistry on screen. Yeah. Oh, so good. But I, also like, he's like one of three guys that yes. she's like interested in and having sex with, which yes. I'm also like, yeah, girl. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> she has like chemistry with all these fucking guys and yep. like flirts with everyone. And like, doesn't seem to care what anyone thinks about it. I'm just like, like Pam is so fucking good. I mean, once again, like Pam, I feel like is like maybe the most consistent actor that we've done in as much as like every movie of hers that we've watched pretty much. I've been like, this is great. Yeah. This is like good to great. All of the movies that are named for her characters mm-hmm. are good to great movies. Like now that we've seen a bunch of them, it's like Jackie Brown, um, uh, Coffee. Yeah. Sheba Baby. Uh, Friday Foster. I mean, it's all the ones Foxy that are Brown. centered around her. Yeah. Uh, all the ones that are named yeah. after her character are great. Yeah. Any any of those movies fucking rule. Yeah. It's like anytime we see stuff like when we watch like Mars Attacks and it's like she's got this like yeah. bit role and it's just like, uh, but like you have Pam Greer. Yeah. Like just yeah. utilize Pam Greer. Yeah, even she's the Carpenter amazing. movies she's in, she's got like kind of like small bit yeah. parts that aren't that, you know. And she has some cool moments in that yeah. movie, but it's like, you know, yeah, just like name things after Pam Greer's character and let her do whatever the yep. fuck she wants and it's going to be a great movie. Yeah. I really liked Friday Foster. It was so much fun. Yeah. Kodo was really great. He was really funny. He had just like really funny interactions with a <laughs> yes. lot of people that he was working with because he's like a, a PI. Yeah. Uh, and, and she's so, a reporter in this one? She's a photographer. Photographer, Yeah, right. for like maybe a fashion yeah, magazine. Yeah, it was weird. They like send her literally to like a drug bust basically or like some kind of weird thing. Yeah, she, they like but, take but, pictures of this guy and then all of a sudden this like big like gunfight breaks out and yeah. she's sitting there like what the fuck. Yeah. And yeah. Then, but then like later you find out about her magazine and it appears to be like a fashion magazine. Yeah, because they go to like a fashion show yeah. later but that fashion show is like also embroiled with some yes. of this like political stuff that's going on. It's those parts like make like no real sense yeah, yeah. but like it kind of becomes this really great movie about like 
white politicians trying to start like a race war, but yes. like blame it on black people. Yes. It's really wild. It's pretty wild. Yeah. It's it's some it's very good black exploitation as yes. as many of Pam's movies are. Agreed. And Yafet had such a good role in it. And it's like, you know, he's not quite the co-star of the movie, but he's in plenty of it and is yeah. just having a fucking ball with this character. Yeah. He definitely like like all of the men in Pam Greer movies yeah. is like su- a supporting character yes, to yes. her that, you know, is there just to like kind of like for her to like, you know, play with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like does a really good job of that. Yeah. Friday Foster. Highly recommend. Uh, in 1976, he's in a movie called Drums starring Warren Oates and Pam Greer. Uh, it says a mid 19th century mulatto slave is torn between his success as a pit fighter and the injustices of white society. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Wait, okay. I, so he did another movie with her like right away. And Warren Oates is in that movie. Yeah. Um, he's then in a movie called The Monkey Hustle. <laughs> uh, a new highway threatens a Chicago neighborhood. So the, the residents protest by throwing a block party. Oh, that sounds kind of good. It does sound good. And then he's in a TV movie called Raid on... I think en- it's Entebbe? Entebbe, yeah. Uh, starring Charles Bronson and John Saxon. Uh, I, we w- can watch this movie at some point in the future if you would like to. I was able to get my hands on it. Oh. I thought perhaps with John Saxon and Yafet Kodo in a movie, you would be interested. Yeah, it's like a it's like about historical like events and stuff. I was like, oh, this might be like a snooze for us. <laughs> yeah, I don't know Charlie Bronson, John Saxon. I don't know. Yeah, I, maybe I, I, I could be into it. Uh, and then he was in the movie Blue Collar, which you watched. I, I fucking loved Blue Collar. I wish that we had watched it together. It was another one where it was like, oh, I just watched it on my own, and then afterwards I was like, ah, I think you would have loved this. Yeah. Um, this is a Paul Schrader movie. It stars Harvey Keitel, um, Yafet Kodo, and Richard Pryor. And Richard Pryor is fucking excellent in this movie. They play um, like factory workers in Detroit, um, you know, in the, uh, what is it? Auto workers. That's what I'm trying to say. Hmm. They, they work for, you know, one of the big auto manufacturers. Uh, and it is all about them deciding to try and steal from their union. Um, they each are in dire financial straits for different reasons. They feel like they are being not necessarily wronged by their union, but that their union is not supporting them as much as they should and realize that their union may be like sitting on some money that they could use. So they try and steal it. Uh, And what starts as like a pretty fun, funny entertainment for like an hour. It's just like this really fucking fun, entertaining movie becomes like a pretty harrowing story about life under capitalism uh, in a way that only Paul Schrader, you know, seems capable of. It just sort of becomes one of those like, car wrecks in slow motion that his movies often become uh, and is just fucking excellent. This has one of the like great final frames of a movie, I think, um, that hits really fucking hard. And it is specifically because of Yafet. It's a line that Yafet says that the movie ends on. Uh, he's fucking tremendous in this movie. I know I'm just like talking a lot about how, but it's this movie is so good. People should absolutely check out Blue Collar. Yeah, it seemed like you had a lot of fun with this movie. Um Sounds cool. Yep. Uh, and then he's in Alien, uh, which of course we've watched, uh, watched several times. Um, and he is part of and like on another like ensemble cast, which is interesting because I think he's good in Alien. I think like everyone's really good in Alien, but it's also like Sigourney Weaver's movie. Uh, but yeah, um, this is he he mentions one of the we watched a really brief clip of him talking about his role in Alien with Ridley Scott right next to him. Um, 
which I thought was like a uh, pretty interesting because he like talks specifically about just like how big of an opportunity it was to be in this role and like uh like how that changed like roles for black men but then also talks about um from like the experience of like Sigourney Weaver like how like this also changed like roles for for women and he's like because Sigourney did this role and like Ridley Scott like created this film like we got to have like a lot of amazing like actresses take on these kinds of roles uh, which I thought was pretty cool yeah yeah um he talks about like uh there was a one thing I found which was interesting and he talks about the chestburst scene uh because that uh you know is like the iconic scene obviously uh he says uh when I walked onto set I said hold hold it just a second the entire crew were wearing jumpsuits and helmets and masks and gloves like a hospital (laughs) there was a big grin on Ridley's face which made me suspicious we all looked at each other uh what the hell is going to happen here uh when the moment came boom an explosion of blood and guts went up in the in the ceiling and came down as bloody rain and when Ridley said cut he started laughing (laughs) yeah uh I I do believe this is famously like supposedly they didn't tell any of the cast like what was going to happen and so the reaction of the cast when that chest bursts open is just their real reactions. That's basically. very funny. Yeah. Um, this seems to confirm that the way he tells that yeah. story. And it's one of those weird movies too. Like when we, we talked about it for, um, oh, why am I totally blanking on his name now? Uh, what other actors in this that we uh, did a, a killer? Harry piece Dean of- yes. Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, who is kind of Yafet's co-star in this movie. Yeah. Cause there's that great scene where we watched together today where he was, they're just talking about like, this isn't in our contract. We don't do rescue missions. It's very relatable that they're like, hey, this is not what we get paid to do. Yes. <laughs> if you want to pay us to do this, we'll do it. But uh, you yeah. should pay us to do this. And it's like, fair enough. If I'm like a blue collar worker yeah. in space, it's like, I don't know if I want to be getting myself involved in this. Yeah. And as we know, they shouldn't have gotten involved and in He's it. got that great line where he's like, can we talk about the bonuses? Let's talk about the bonuses. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's like, that. those are the things you should be concerned about, you know? Yeah. And it's like, if you're not getting paid well, like, only do as much as, like, you're getting paid for, you know? Yeah. They didn't get paid for this shit. Um, and then we watched, like, the scene where Yafet dies in this movie, which uh, was really interesting, too, because, like... It's a pretty heroic death scene. Yeah, which is funny when we, like, see another horror movie he's in later, yeah. where he just is, like, goes straight after these really scary characters. Yeah. Like, he just, like, goes and, like, tries to save uh, one of the other characters um, and, like, jumps on the alien and then just gets, like, Lambert. spat in the face with, uh, you know, alien acid yeah. spit. <laughs> Yeah, he tries to save Lambert, I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, pretty pretty interesting. Um, and then we get to his roles in the 80s. So, for television, um, he was a lead on the series For Love and Honor, which I had never heard of. Yeah. Uh, he was on Murder, She Wrote, of course. Um, and then he was also in an episode of uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Cool. Uh, which is cool. Um, in 1980, he was in the movie uh, Brubaker, starring Robert Redford and Morgan Freeman. Yeah, I'm going to watch this sometime. That sounds good to me. But I think it might be a bit of prison exploitation, which uh, I know is not very popular in this household. Yeah, I it's a weird trigger point for me. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds interesting and looks like it like has gotten good reviews. Uh, but yeah, it's like it's like about Robert Redford's character kind of going undercover like as a prisoner to like basically figure out what kind of like prison exploitation is going on. Um, 
So it like very much could be like a cool progressive like film in that sense, but I'm like a little like you know. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not sure. I do want to watch it though. I'm yeah interested to see it. It's funny. There are a couple of these movies from the '80s as I was putting the descriptions in, where I was just like, "Ooh, this sounds like it could be problematic, but maybe not." Uh, like I think this one too from 1982, "Fighting Back," uh, starring Tom Skerritt. Um, it's a hard crime story about a Philadelphia shop owner who has enough of um, who has had enough of the criminals' violence and ravages. He organizes a patrol of civil people. It all starts to go wrong because his team's actions are taken as racial discrimination. Yeah, I read the premise of this as well and was like, I would watch this because I'm very interested in a 1982 Philadelphia set movie about something that sounds very Philadelphian, which is a yeah. bunch of white citizens getting together to quote-unquote combat crime. Uh, that literally happened in our neighborhood while we were living in South Philly, if you remember. Ugh, um, yeah. And uh, But, um, you know, that also sounds like... Dep- I would be... The movie needs to take the correct position on that for yeah. me to be able to enjoy it. I feel like I need a website where I can like look yeah. up a movie and I was like, does this take the position I want it to? Yeah. And I'd be like, yes, and I'll be like, great. Yeah. I can watch it then. Yeah. Um, and then this one as well, uh, The Star Chamber, starring Michael Douglas. I do want to see this one. Um, and it could work. Like, uh, So frustrated with the legal system gone haywire, a secret society of judges hires a hit- hitman to snuff out criminals who escape uh, courtroom justice. Yeah. But one judge questions the ethics of their vigilante system. That sounds awesome to me. So it could be a lot of fun. And actually, like, that maybe... That sounds cranked up to exploitation levels. Yes. So that sounds like it could be fun to me. And I think Douglas is the character that is the one that's like maybe this is bad Uh and so I'm like okay like you know maybe this will take the route I want it to take um Another one, Women of San Quentin, TV uh-huh. movie about a female prison guard whose first assignment is San Quentin, one of the toughest prisons in the country. Um, and then, what kind of roles he has in these movies? Like that's why I wanted to watch a couple of these. I'm just I curious, know. like how significant his roles are in them. Yeah. Um, and then in 1985, he's in a TV movie called Playing with Fire, unintentionally hilarious made-for-TV film starring a not-so-young Gary Coleman as a teenage arsonist. Jeez. The authorities' friends and neighbors warn his absentee parents until it's too late. Okay. Sounds weird. Yeah. 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 But maybe I want to see that. I can't tell. Right. Uh, he's then in a movie called Warning Signs with Sam Watterson, who I love, um, a woman working as a security guard in an art agricultural research facility finds herself and her coworkers fighting to survive against their former friends. Sounds weird. Um, and then he's then in that uh, movie, The Park is Mine, which we've talked about a couple times, I feel like now. Yeah. And I, I almost looked this one up because we have talked about it a couple of times, yeah. but I, I've heard a few different people talk about this movie, and it sounds like it is genuinely a pretty boring mm. movie that's like not as good as its like premise, you know. Yeah. Um. So I just I could I couldn't I was like I don't know I don't know if I've got it in me to watch Fair this enough. just to just to watch it. Fair enough. Um, he's then in a movie from 1986 called Harem, another TV movie that stars Omar Sharif. Uh, which I thought the premise was funny. A young British woman is kidnapped by an Arabian sheik and held captive in his harem. At first, she frantically tries to escape, but as they slowly get to know each other, they uh, kind of fall in love, uh, essentially. Okay. And I was just like, oh, God, this sounds weird. (laughs) 
Um, and then he's in a movie called Eye of the Tiger, starring Gary Busey, about a Vietnam vet who returns home and tries to clean up his hometown, uh, which is under threat of violence from a motorcycle gang. Yeah, I kind of want to see this, mostly because it's called Eye of the Tiger. I know, it's a lot of these like weird like vigilante kind yeah. of, which is like such an 80s thing too, I yes. guess, so it makes sense. Um, and then he's in The Running Man, uh, which we watched. Yeah, um, which is, uh, you know, based on a... Stephen King book yeah. under his pseudonym, whatever that Richard Matheson, something like that. that. Right? Yeah, um, I, I always forget it as soon as I hear it. Yeah, uh, which is like a you know a sort of futuristic science fiction movie. Although, what did it take place in two thousand seventeen or something like that? Yeah, it was like oh, we've passed this. Now. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it does. You know, it's one of those movies that continues to be kind of relevant in yeah. the way that it's depicting like a you know a society that is just kind of like frothing at the mouth for entertainment and yeah. not really that's like keeping them at bay from all of these other horrible things that are happening around them yeah kind of remind me of that movie gamer we watched yeah. uh, a while back too yes um and sounds kind of interesting like i kind of want to read the the story i think the premise is very interesting yeah the movie is not great like this is one of my lesser favorite arnold movies yeah it like yeah it gets like a little boring in the movie and then the end is like kind of fun again but yeah, yeah it, it, it kind of maybe just has like a pacing problem for yeah me. yeah i agree the middle is just kind of a bit just slack kind yeah. of but like uh yeah i like it because uh it's yeah it's about like a game show essentially where like people who are in prison can like fight for their for their freedom for their freedom yeah. which is interesting yeah uh, but it seems clear that like no one actually has ever won yeah. their freedom from this and yeah. even the ones that they said have yeah like, it's actually just like a yeah that, that is of course the lie they're telling so that they can make it seem like there's some good outcome to this or yes. whatever yeah yeah i brought this movie up to my friend damon because there's a character named damon in it <laughs> but uh also because like he is like a prison abolitionist so i was like he was like is this movie good and i'm like not really but you might like it just for the like social ideas yeah, that yeah. are posed in the movie yeah um and then in 1987, he's in a movie called Tomorrow's a Killer. Uh, a detective tries to track down a serial killer who is murdering prostitutes while at the same time having to deal with his girlfriend's mental health problems, which are gradually deteriorating into a split personality. What? Sounds weird. I really want to watch it. <laughs> that sounds insane. Um, and then he's in the movie In Self-Defense, uh, which has Linda Pearl, who I really like, um, and Billy Drago, who's a fucking weirdo. Uh, a witness is terrorized by the killer um, against who she is testifying. Hmm. Um, he's then in a movie called Terminal Entry, which is like a weird action sci-fi movie. And then in 1988, he was in the movie Midnight Run, yeah. uh, which we had both seen a while ago, and we watched a couple scenes to kind of familiarize ourselves with Yeah, I couldn't with remember Yafet's role in it, really, yeah. which I think is relatively minor, having now rewatched a couple of those scenes this morning. Yeah. And, you know, this is like one of those classic comedies that people really love that I mm -hmm. like. I liked when I watched it, but I maybe I was expecting too much because people like it so much or something. I didn't, yeah. I don't know. I, I thought it was fine. Yeah, I I agree. And it, it you know, it's not like necessarily like my kind of movie anyway, and I feel like I watched it with someone like years ago and was like, "Yeah, this was fun." Yeah. Um Yafet, like the scenes we watched were pretty fun and funny. He's like an FBI agent named Alonzo, I believe. Yeah, and he has this kind of like a uh, tumultuous relationship with De Niro's, De Niro's character. character. He's like a bounty hunter, I think. Yes, uh which is really funny. Um 
And so I just, I, I kind of liked their back and forth that we watched. I found that very amusing. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's like, meh, I don't, I don't necessarily know if this is like my kind of movie. Yeah. And, you know, relatively small role for Yafet, I think. Yeah. You know. It also has that weird score that a lot of these kind of movies do where it's like the, the harmonica. <laughs> like score that i'm just like oh god these all have a certain tone to it that i'm not sure i'm in love with yeah i I like this kind of movie personally i just didn't think this one was like i don't know it wasn't my favorite one i watched i would like to revisit it and see how i feel about it now um he said that this remains one of his favorite roles that he did which is really really interesting um and i guess he later played the same role for the film witless protection from 2008 it is a larry the cable guy movie what that is wild Cannot wrap my brain around him being in that movie or like reprising a role from this to then be in a Larry Cable yeah. Guy movie. All of that baffles me. Absolutely bizarre. Uh, in 1989, he's in a movie called The Jigsaw Murders. I kind of want to watch this. I kind of want to watch this too. Um, yeah, it's just like another one of these like weird detective. It specifically says a serial killer that preys on erotic models. Which <laughs> 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 I'm just like, okay, sure. Uh, and then a movie called A Whisper to a Scream, another movie I want to watch. Uh, a young girl who becomes frustrated in her desire to become an actress starts working for a telephone sex company. There she meets a man who has an obsession for music related with crime. Okay, weird. Yep. That sounds cool. Yep, I love all of these kind of movies. Uh, he's then in a movie called Ministry of Vengeance uh, with Ned Beatty. Hell yeah. Really interesting title. Good title. Um, and then a movie called Tripwire, which I believe we talked about, and we're kind of interested in watching because um, it's a David Warner movie also. Yeah, and I think it's floating around on Tubi or one of those places. Like, it's pretty available, uh, which is partly why I wanted to watch it, just because we can. As I was putting the notes together for Yafet, I'm like, oh, this is a great season finale episode, too, because he has, like, intersected with so many other killer bees. Yes. Uh, which was really fun. Um, and then we get to his roles in the 90s. Um, he was in Homicide, Life on the Streets. Uh, I believe he had a, one of the leading roles in that. And yeah. I think that's where he was Emmy nominated um, as well. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, I believe that this show is one of the sort of progenitors of the like police procedural, the modern police procedural on TV. Yeah. I also don't think I put it in the notes, but I'm pretty sure he's in an episode of Night Gallery, which is like Rob Serling's show after Twilight Zone, which I would like to see. Um, I've seen some episodes, but I'd love to see his episode of it. Yeah. Um, And then he was also in episodes of Law and Order and The Wire. Yeah, uh, which makes sense. I actually think that The Wire is from the same person that created Homicide. Oh, that makes sense. I think. Um, and I've never seen The Wire, but I would like to. I've heard great things. And if Law and Order is not a spinoff of Homicide specifically, mm-hmm. it's like one of the shows that is like because of the success of Homicide, we uh, now have Law and Order. You know what I mean? That makes a ton of sense, yeah. actually. Okay. Um, in 1991, he's in a movie called Hang Fire with Ken Forey. Yeah, I was going to say, I knew we had kind of talked about that movie before. I, I sort of want to see it. It's got yeah. such a weird, bad title. I mean, there's so many of these that I'm like, I could yeah. watch this. Hang fire. And then he is in Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, which is the sixth? Yeah. Fra- f- uh, yeah, sixth of the uh, Nightmare, Nightmare movies. Yeah, yep. Uh, and I, you know, we've seen this, you and I like the series quite a bit, but I could not remember Yafet in this movie, really. We had to watch, we had to like rewatch some scenes of his this morning to yeah. remind ourselves. And yeah, it's like, I remember not loving this very much, right. but then recently read like an interesting article about it because it 
is directed by a woman. And so like they brought up some like interesting ideas that this movie poses probably through the lens of like a female director. So I like, kind of want to rewatch it. But even just watching some of the scenes, I'm like, God, these aren't great. It's not great. There's good ideas in this yeah. movie, but it, it's not great. And especially I think it is just especially not great on the heels of truly like one of the more consistent uh, slasher franchises. Yeah. Like those movies are, are all pretty good, yeah. you know? Um, and I do think that one is, is a, a pretty significant step down from, you know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because they, like, start to get worse, but then yeah. this one feels like a really, yeah, like, yeah. Ooh, really like big tipping steep, point. A steep downturn. Yeah, in, in and then you get New Nightmare, which is, yes, like, really fucking good. incredible. Yeah. But there's, like, good ideas in this. I think this is the one that has, like, where <laughs> Freddy becomes a video game at one point. Like, yes, and, uh, like, it has a lot of weird... Um, weird people like come in and do like parts of this like johnny depp comes back briefly oh, right. uh fucking is this the one that is uh are roseanne and tom arnold yes. uh, cameoing in this movie yes do i have that right um yeah there's like a lot of that in this movie yeah, and i don't always totally understand why it's it's just kind of campy and that might be why it's being revisited as like potentially a, yes. a you know something that needs to be reassessed uh, Brecken Meyer is yeah, also right. in yeah. this movie. Yeah, yeah, Roseanne Barr. So strange that yeah. she comes into this movie. And this one has all those weird plot elements that are interesting, but like never add up to much or make any sense. Where like yeah. it seems like where the world is almost like an, a, a teenage apocalypse, where like yeah. where Freddy has maybe killed most teenagers at this point. Or there's also this thing where there's like a I forget like a townwide conspiracy to yeah. keep teenagers from dreaming because that's how we can keep him from coming back. Yeah, I mean it. I like it in the sense that it goes like balls to the wall, like yeah. dystopian with it, because up until then, they're kind of just rehashing the same yeah, things, yeah. although they explore new ideas in each of the nightmare movies. But it still just is like group of teenagers. Freddy's back. Yeah. They're dreaming. They're dying. Like we have to figure out how to kill him. Yeah. And so this one tries to be like, OK, like all teenagers are dead. Yeah. <laughs> and Kodo is like he's like a scientist or a, a doctor or something. And he's like doing research, basically. Yeah. Like the the one scene we watched is him fighting Freddy in a nightmare, and then grabbing a piece of his shirt and bringing it back into the real world. Like he yes. seems to be experimenting with the dream world and what you're capable of there and stuff like that, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's a cool idea. And he straight up just like as soon as he sees Freddy, punches him in the fucking face and starts trying to fight no, him. No, he hits him with a bat. He oh, yeah, grabs baseball a bat, bat right, and yeah. beats the shit out of him, yeah. which is so funny in a series where I feel like everyone's reaction to seeing Freddy is running and then Yafit just grabs a bat. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you just like, you don't care. Like fucking Xenomorph, Freddy, yeah. whatever. Just goes for it. <laughs> yeah, uh, really interesting. Um, he's then in a, uh, a TV movie called Chrome Soldiers uh, with Gary Busey again. All right. And then in 1992 is in a movie called Intent to Kill, which stars Tracy Lords. Oh, yeah, who you and I kind of like, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a young policewoman relentlessly tries to bring down a ruthless drug kingpin um, who plots his own agenda for his drug distribution empire. Okay. Um, he's then in a movie called Extreme Justice, which Hell is directed yeah. by Mark L. Lester. Yeah, fucking uh, Commando, right? Yep. Uh, and it stars Scott Glenn and Lou Diamond Phillips. Hell yeah. And then he's in uh, a TV movie directed by Bob Clark called The American Clock. Oh. Um, we love Bob Clark. That's, yeah. Uh, you know, that's Black Christmas. Yeah. And then in 1994, he's in another TV movie, which I just loved the title. Uh, the Corpse Had a Familiar Face. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. 
Um, and then he is in the movie Puppet, The Puppet Masters, which we also watched. Yeah, a movie that I, I find infinitely forgettable for the most yes. part. And we watched this for I don't Ken Forey? Maybe. Maybe. Is he in it? I, don't, I literally don't remember. It's, it's a really weird movie. Yeah, because like all of the actors are in like movies. Sim- it is Ken Forey because it's... Um, it makes like the thing references. Oh yes, and then it has Donald Sutherland, yes. and it's making body snatcher yes. references, and so it has all of these like prominent actors who have been in like horror and sci-fi yeah. that deal with these similar ideas. But then the movie itself is like, it's like kind of interesting and yeah. funny. Like there's some really weird shit that happens. I kind of remember movie. how crazy the sets are at the end of the movie. Oh, there, I, I yeah, kind of remember that. There's like a really cool set piece at yeah. the end. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, overall, like not not a great movie. Yeah, I don't even remember Yafet in it. Do you? I think he's just like a general in a room. Oh, okay. Because I yeah. think I remember watching it being like, oh, Yafet, yeah. and that was like the only scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in 1996, he is in a movie called Two If by Sea, which stars Dennis Leary and Sandra Bullock. <laughs> okay. Really weird. A couple steals a Matisse painting on a contract. They manage to escape the police. Um. And the sale takes place four days later on an island, but things do not go as planned. Okay, weird. What a weird combination of people to be in a movie. Right? And it also just seems like, at this period, a weird movie for Bullock. I don't know. Um, And then he's in a movie called Almost Blue, which I put in here specifically because of you, Garrett. A young jazz Uh saxophonist copes with the loss of his wife. Well, yeah. uh, And Almost Blue, I think that's the title of a famous jazz album, but I'm not going to know whose. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then he only has kind of a couple roles in the 2000s, um, but he did a voice for the Alien Isolation video game. Which oh, I nice. That was kind of interesting. That's cool that he came back to the franchise for something. Yeah. Fun, fun. I'm sure fans loved it. Yeah. Um, in 2000, he was in Homicide, the, t- the movie, um, a TV movie based on the show. Yeah, and I, I think it was like they got a lot of the cast to come back for that. I feel like I remember looking at the poster and being like, oh, there's actually a lot of people in this yeah. show that I had never really heard of. I think it was like, all oh, the detectives are back for one big case or mm. something like that, you know? That's interesting. Yeah. Um, he is then in The Ride, another TV movie about uh, the miscreant drivers at City Cab drift through the darkened streets on a bizarre mission of hope and longing. Weird. What a what a weird log line for a movie. Right. And then uh, that movie, Witless Protection. That's is, so unfortunate that his yeah. last movie was a fucking Larry the Cable Guy movie. Yeah. And it's interesting that he, I guess, maybe just like retired from acting and mm-hmm. couldn't really find a lot of information as, as like, you know, why his career stops there. He um, probably retired. Um, but he, yeah, he died March 15th, uh, 2021 at the age of 81 in, uh, the Philippines, uh, which is where he had been living for a while with mm. his, uh, wife at the time. Mm. Um, he apparently has a Bay Area hardcore punk band named after him. Okay, cool. Um, as we were looking him up too, we kept finding, uh, Childish Gambino came up and it's cause he also has a song called Yafet Koto on Because the Internet, which mm-hmm. I thought was pretty funny. Um, I thought this was fascinating. He turned down the role of Lando Calrissian for uh-huh. Star Wars. Um, he feared that Lando would be killed in the movie and that he would be forever typecast. Um, and the role eventually went to Billy D. Williams. It's very interesting. I don't know that he would have been wrong, actually. I feel like Billy D. got kind of typecast off of that. For sure. And I also saw something about, like, he just talked about, like, oh, I 
figured if I kept doing movies like in space, that was going to pigeonhole me too. Sure. Like, into, and I was like, yeah, that also makes sense where you're like, you don't want to just be like the yeah. sci-fi, like black eye mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so those things totally make sense. Um, Especially with his like desire to be opening doors for black performers and all kinds of stuff. Yes. If he were to get pigeonholed in one kind of thing, then he, you know, he stops opening those doors basically you yeah, know it's all totally, yeah you like kind of have to be doing new things yeah. if that's your your goal in mind yeah um he also turned down the role of jean-luc picard on star trek next generation Wait, what? yeah um he comments on it he says i think i made some wrong decisions in my <laughs> life man i should have done that but i walked away when you're making movies you would tend to say no to television it's like when you're in college and someone asks you to a high school dance you say no wow yeah back in the days when tv and movies were so quote-unquote like separated yes. like that yeah yeah it's it's really interesting because i'm also i'm like trying to i love like hearing those uh facts about these actors specifically because then i just start to picture like what they would look like in those franchises yeah and and how that would change those franchises and all kinds of stuff you know well, pop yeah, culture like, like picard yeah. would be a black man yeah. uh yep. which is so interesting yep. um yeah like and you know um what's his name uh Sure. Patrick Stewart. Yeah, like he, you know, is so iconic for that. Yeah. That's like, I mean, they have a Picard show now yeah. that's that's running. Yeah. So it's just like so interesting, like what what could have happened mm-hmm. with these? And Lando even comes back to Star Wars, yeah. like all of those. Right? Yeah, things. he does not get killed. In fact, and, yeah, he doesn't. You know, gets to live on as a you know, yeah. The, yeah. Very interesting. Um, And then I thought this was cool. Uh, Along with his wife, Tessie, they operated an artist retreat resort on southern uh, light Philippines called the Running Man Institute, which was founded in 2001 and is focused on working with people in the entertainment industry to build their creativity, as well as to relax and read up on holistic health. Interesting. Yes, that's. It seems to be like what he was doing towards the end of his life. Um, and then I also saw that he was a member of the Academy, which I thought was very interesting, because um, he was. People were like asking him questions about how he felt about the Academy in general, mm. and saying like, "Oh, it seems like there are certain like there's still like a lot of like you know kind of racist, sexist things happening with the Academy." And he kind of defends the Academy, but interesting it's it is interesting to like know that he was a part of that and like was able to give like his perspectives too Mm -hmm. um yeah and i I got some really good interviews from bigissue.com um that like talked about specifically was like about his role in james bond and his thoughts on that and then um moose with fleas uh youtube channel had a really good interview with him also that i watched nice and that uh that wraps up Yafet. Well, I had a blast watching his movies. Like I really got into like I really in my mind I had only seen him in Alien. It turned out I had seen him in like a few other things, but like really only knew him from Alien and you know, I like him in Alien, but he's like not the the thing you remember from Alien necessarily, you know. Yeah. Um and so it was like really cool to visit a bunch of these movies and these roles and really fall in love with him as a performer. Yeah. I was like so fascinated by him by the end of watching like five or six of these. Yeah. And like Blue Collar just fucking blew me away. It was like the last thing I watched of his before getting ready for this episode yeah. and just man, uh, he is terrific. I agree. And like in my head too, I'm glad we watched some more of his roles because I kept thinking of him as like one of these like ensemble actors mm-hmm. because of Alien probably. Mm-hmm. And then also doing a lot of these like smaller roles, his side characters. And so I didn't realize like the range he had and just like 
if if directors utilized him in the right way, the just like crazy performances he could deliver, like I didn't know Yafet could be so suave yeah, or be yeah. so cheeky yeah. and like that trickster kind of character, yeah. which then is something it seems like we see in more mm-hmm. of his roles. And so it was very cool to explore that. Yeah. Um, he also, uh, I forgot that interview we watched, he talks about watching Martin Luther King speak uh, when he was younger and like, you know, wondering if he would ever get to see this dream that uh, MLK was like envisioning for black people. And then he talks about being in New York with his daughter who uh, they were together in this big bus full of like Japanese tourists ran up to him and were just screaming alien. And Mm. that's when he had this recognition. It's like, Oh, like I've reached this now. Like I am renowned all over the world for Mm. these roles that I have done and people will always like remember that and I was like oh that's like such a nice moment and like realization to have for yourself yeah so I thought that was cool well also I, you just reminded me that we will have to post on uh, the Twitter page yes. if people want to follow us that we found this clip on YouTube I don't know what it's from Michael Moore had a TV show back in the day called like the awful truth mm. it may have been from that I'm not sure because it started with Michael Moore being like, hey, uh, there's a few reasons you might not be able to catch a cab in New York City, traffic, whatever. He's like, but maybe one of them is more significant than that. And then Rusty Cundeef shows up to be like, hi, I'm Rusty. And we've talked about Rusty Cundeef before on this show on a couple different episodes. He's a black filmmaker that is really, really funny. So funny. Um, he made that movie Fear of the Black Hat that we liked so much. But he also is one of the stars of and is yes. very good. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's Rusty Cundeef shows up and says, we're going to do an experiment. I have Emmy-nominated actor Yafet Kodo here with me, and he's going to try and hail a cab. I also have, and I'm not going to know this guy's name, but I also have this convicted white murderer. <laughs> this white guy that is a convicted murderer, as well as there were like a bunch of other counts that he had been convicted of. He's like, I'm going to have him. Well, they him. showed all the prisons he's yes. been in. Well, and they did the same thing for Yafet, but it was all the movies all he's been in. All the movies he'd been in, and then they showed all the prisons the white guy had been in. And he's like, now I'm going to have Yafet stand at the corner to try and hail this cab, and I'm going to have this white criminal stand a little further down the street to try and hail a cab. And we're going to see who can hail a cab first. And it is just all about how these cab drivers keep ignoring Yafet Kodo and going to the white guy and picking him up instead. And it just gets increasingly funny as it goes. Rusty is a very funny guy that does these, like, interviews with the cab drivers. And, like, it's really, really funny. We'll post this clip on on our Twitter so that people can watch it because it was just so funny to us. And Yafet is just standing there. At one point, Yafet has a big sign that says, I need a cab. (laughs) And people are still driving by him. It's really funny. They put funny. him under spotlights. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. We need to also just like watch more Rusty Cundiff stuff because yeah. he is really funny. And also if that's Michael Moore's show, like what a good idea to like not handle that yes. yourself yes. and give that off to like a black man yeah. to like, oh, I, like let's work on this together. And I don't even know if that's true. I just, yeah, I don't know why else be. he was at the beginning of that segment if it wasn't from one of those things. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, very entertaining. <laughs> Super funny. We'll we'll post that clip. Um, yeah, and so this is the yeah. season two finale of Killer Bees. Yes, we we will be back uh, more than likely sometime in the spring. Yeah, we'll take a couple um, months off to just sort of you know back- backlog a few few more bees. Yeah, I'll find some you know fun cool things for us to post in the uh, you know in our interim period. Yeah, but you if, keep up with us on social yeah. media and 
you and I are on other people's podcasts somewhat frequently and stuff. Yeah. Like there'll be more stuff coming out on the page if you follow us. Yeah, and if you know there are things that you would like us to post or talk about yeah. while we're on break, or if you have more suggestions you'd like to send our way, um, I promise if we like have not listened to your suggestions, they are on my list, and we yeah. just have not got to them yet. Uh, but we will uh, definitely like look at that as we are planning for season three. Yeah. And you can email us at killerbspodcast, killerbspodcast yes. at gmail.com. Yes, I check it. Uh, for any of that. Uh, or, you know, find us on Twitter. Yeah, I am also on Twitter now, like, m- as a person, as Tori Potenza, so you can... Uh, you need to tell people what your at is. Oh, it's at uh, the Neon Banshee. At the Neon Banshee. Yeah. Yes. And I'm at Philadelphia there and on Letterboxd. Um, find me there. And otherwise, you know, check out moviejohn.com mm-hmm. and uh, we'll see you guys in the spring. Yeah, buzz, buzz, everyone. Buzz.